Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who joined SNY in 2015 as lead studio analysis for Mets pre- and post-game shows, contributed to SNY's Mets Hot Stove and Daily News Live and SNY.TV. Prior to SNY, he spent time at the Major League Baseball Network, where he appeared on various programs, including MLB Now, MLB Tonight, and Hot Stove. He was drafted by the New York Mets in the 30th round of the 1995 Major League Draft out of Brandeis University, which has AJ every time. Go go fighting judges. There you go. He's smiling. Also an alum of Brandeis. He pitched for six teams over his nine-year Major League Baseball career, the Mets, the Diamondbacks, the Phillies, the Brewers, the Pirates, and the Houston Astros. It is a pleasure. Uh, you know, he did strike me out, so I don't know how much of a pleasure it is. You did it, get a somewhat I, loud I, foul. Yeah, I did get a foul. It wasn't really that a, loud. Well, you got I did a soft get, foul. Right. Uh, Nelson Figueroa to 540 AM Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Nelson. Thank you very much. Listen, let me tell you something. More times than not, I usually get with somebody and they're like, remember me in high school? I took you deep. I crushed you. <laughs> very, not often I can say, yes, yes. He at least still remembers that I actually struck him out. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't get, uh, well, yeah, I fouled one off of you. Ago, so it's easy to remember. <laughs> So, yeah, you know, exactly, exactly. No, hey, uh, uh, the little victories, right? He fouled one off. It wasn't just a three-pitch strikeout. You hung in there. Yeah, that's that. true. So, you know, AJ and I got to spend some time with you at New York Mets Fantasy Camp. So before we get into you know the baseball season, AJ and I spoke to a lot of former players as to what they get out of that week. What, what do you get out of that, and what makes you want it to continue to go back as a coach and be part of Mets Fantasy Camp? I think I get more out of it than anybody. I'm kind of that guy in between because I'm still a huge fan of all the former players that I grew up watching and loving, and I get to interact with them in an even deeper way. And I've joined the fraternity, and you don't realize how real that is. You know, you think when you sign your contract and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, I put on the same uniform as those guys. And it's not really real until you're there sitting with them and we're in the coach's side of thing, and we're just telling stories and you're in that inner circle and you're, you're learning about all the teams that you grew up watching and from the outside. And now I have some inside scoops on everything that I would never be privy to if I wasn't part of the fraternity, and I'm so grateful for that. And then I turned it around and just to interact with uh, the guys, the warriors of Fantasy Camp, the guys like you and your son who have played seven games in five days and go out there and, and, and find a way to get through with the little sprains, the bruises, the pulled hamstrings, just not being able to really give it that, you know, glory days 100%, but giving it the best that you have with what you have that day and having just the time of your life doing so. Yeah, that's you know, and AJ and I are in the middle of the book, yeah. and and that's what so many people get out of it. And it, it's yeah, really it's, hard to describe unless you go down and do it, and, and be part of it. Because it, it, and hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to capture some of it in words. And it's a daunting well, yeah. task. I mean, but it is amazing. Well, well, the chapter's done, so let's, right. let's hope that everybody sees the same exactly. thing. And and, and just so you know, Nelson. That that yeah. foul is a prominent picture in the book. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well done. You can make a whole picture book just out of that foul. Just do it in really slow motion. I have. <laughs> All right. So, I, um, you know, you have a new role at SMY. So tell our audience a little bit about what your role this season is going to be. I'll be still doing a pre- and post-game. I'm going from 110 to 18 as of right now. I'm almost 
positive with the way that this team, I believe, will compete in the National League East that I'll be on board to do more um, later on in the season. I feel like um, it just I'm going to have a hard time saying no if they even approach me to, to do more shows. But I'm also be doing Baseball Night in New York, which is our 6 o'clock show that um, we do every single day all year round, and we talk about Mets, Yankees, and all things baseball. So it gives me a chance to really branch out and, and be able to cover baseball from a professional, former professional player's angle. Um, we have some of the greatest writers um, with us on our panel that are invited to come and talk and share their knowledge, share their interactions with both the Mets and Yankees, and we're able to kind of have the fans see things from a multitude of different views. And uh, play some games as well, which I'm terrible at these games, uh, games like Rapid Fire, where you kind of just have to start naming, you know, the top 30 Mets hitters in Shea Stadium history and things of that nature, and I seem to be really bad at it. <laughs> but um, it's a great show. Doug, Doug Williams is the host. We have a fantastic time doing this show and trying to piece together uh, a show where, you know, we give our little information of the day on each of the teams, the Mets and Yankees, and then, uh, you know, the C&D blocks are basically we put out polls to the fans and see what they want to hear about, see what's on their mind, see what, you know, things have happened maybe over the past few days, and we get a chance to talk about, like, some of these wacky new rule changes that they <laughs> want to try and guinea pig the poor Atlantic League in. So uh, things like of that nature, and I'm really excited to do so. So in, you know, right now you're slated for 18, all right, and, and that will expand, but it's not the 120 to 140. How does that change the way you watch a game? Because when you're doing the post game, especially the analysis that you did was so amazing. You know, you would talk about the, the way the pitchers approach different hitters. How does it change your watching of a game, and does it now add a little bit to the enjoyment of actually – being able to let the game breathe as opposed to like writing down every single thing because you might want to talk about it in the post. You know, it was funny. When I first started, um, I was sitting there writing down every single thing. I was keeping a scorecard and trying to be meticulous with the scorecard. And I was even marking down like I used to when I would chart pitches of, you know, the pitcher the night before I would pitch and just um, marking down pitches and circling, you know, the foul tip strikes and then you realize, hey, the Internet has gotten a lot smarter than us, and I can actually pull up all that information in a matter of seconds as soon as the game ends. And I spent more time in my latter years, especially last year, being able to enjoy the game and watch it from the, the fan perspective. But it would be like immediately when something would happen in the game, I would pop up from my desk, turn over to Gary Apple and say, that's something we need to talk about right there. And then Gary Apple would write down, so he'd give himself a question. So this way we had a better flow of uh, where it wasn't just two guys who had scorecards and said, oh, remember when this happened in the, in the third? Remember when this happened? Because there were elements to the game that happened that might not show up on the scorecard. And I didn't want to lose sight of those things. There were times where there were decisions made from the dugout. There were times where interactions would happen in the dugout or on the field or on the on-deck circle that I would bring up. And it might have not even shown up in the camera shots on television. We have some angles that we can watch. Um, and I actually have the ability to, you know, call down to SNY and say, listen, you guys are broadcasting the normal angles. Can I get, say, uh, a side view of Stephen Matz's mechanics? I think I see something off in his mechanics. Can we leave the camera on him for a whole inning by itself from that side view? And it won't show on TV, but I'll have that whole inning worth of video where I'll go and I'll watch that 
while you know maybe there's a, a either a long commercial or pitching change. Now, try and highlight those things so that this way I can bring that kind of thing to the viewer, where it's not something that you just spent watching three hours of, but something you might not have noticed or had a chance to notice that I can bring to light. So I mean, that's something I realized I was going to ask you about, what difference it is watching, watching the games and being in the ballpark, but it's amazing. You know, they tried at one point, remember Cablevision, so many tried, I think, with hockey, that you could watch mm-hmm. different angles of the game. And they did it with hockey. At home, yeah. at home a fan could do angles. that. So if they brought that back for baseball, do you think that would be a good thing for the fans or something that would just absolutely confuse them? Well, it was funny because, like, in the playoffs on MLB TV, uh, you can select the different cameras. I mean, and all different perspectives they have, you know, down the right for line, down the left for line. So it's almost like you're sitting there from all the different perspectives. And what's incredible is that nowadays with the technology that, that we have and, you know, the ability to have these 3D cameras where you can actually move it around while it's in play. And that, to me, is something that's still um, it, it's being tapped into, but it's not perfected as of yet. And but I think that's something that's an element. Even I tried to do it in spring training. I would put my little 3D camera down while someone was throwing a bullpen, or catchers working on a drill, or Cespedes is working on hitting off the tee. I'd actually put my little camera in on another tee, and then while he's doing his drills, he doesn't have to do anything. I can talk to him from outside of the cage. He's working on his swing, and I can see his swing from different angles and just move the camera around afterwards. And so I could watch it 10 different times from 10 different angles and see, you know, different things in his swing or his approach. And then I talk to him about it and see exactly why he was doing a very short tee drill. And I'm talking about a tee that's maybe six inches off the ground. And I had never seen that before. And he said, I get a lot of sliders down and away, and I got to figure out a way to hit that bad pitch and hit it hard. And so he actually worked at that, taking probably 150 to 200 swings a day, working on keeping his weight back and hitting that ball almost off the ground where it doesn't make it where he gets the swing and miss over the top and able to hit that ball on a line the other way and you know possibly for a double or extra base hit. You know, it's interesting you said that because I know the amount of work that you put in and the perseverance that you did to, to have your career – Given all the technology that they have today, if you had like a 3D camera back in the day where you could take in your bullpen sessions and then be able to break down, you know, how your mechanics change or even in a, a day, how much of that is an advantage for today's pitchers? Well, you look at somebody like Trevor Bauer, and Trevor Bauer was gifted with a, an incredible arm. And most pitchers, uh, you know, you get, to the, you get signed as a professional, and that means you can throw the baseball hard. Uh, harder than most. And then once you get to that next level, it's now, what else can I do? What will set me apart? My ability to throw strikes with five different pitches is what set me apart. I couldn't throw the ball uh, any harder. Uh, You know, I didn't top out for more than 93 miles an hour, but I could throw the ball from three different arm angles, change pitches, change shape of my breaking balls, and I could spin the ball very well. A guy like Trevor Bauer actually has created or helped create new technology using Driveline, which is a facility out in Seattle where they literally do what we used to do as kids. You draw a line through the baseball, and you want to see how that line moves through the strike zone. But with the high-speed cameras, they can actually see whatever grip you're using. Um, actually, he actually goes so far as if using sweat as an uh, enhancer or He'll write down with sweat, without sweat, with a seam, without a seam, trying to spin the baseball in different ways to shape his breaking ball. And I think we can all see the benefits of it. His 
slider, curveball, and changeup this year. He just started throwing this new changeup that he'd been working on to have all gotten better and better. And it's almost a mad scientist kind of thing. I, it was something that I know I would have done, and I, I'm dying to even try it because I feel like I can still spin a baseball, and I want to see exactly you know, where my stuff ranks, even though I'm 45. But that's so interesting to me. And you know what? It's hard because there's a, a level of keep it simple, you know what I mean? That see ball, hit the ball, throw strikes, uh, you know, make the ball move because hitting is very difficult. I think you know that, right, Mark? Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Well, he got to experience it. And I, and I think that a lot of fans think they can do it or right. will sit there yelling at the television, oh, I could do that. How can you miss that pitch? Right. Oh, my God, that was – and then they get in the batter's box themselves against a guy like myself who I'm topping out at 83 these days. And yet they can't come close to it. Now add another 10 to 12 to 15 miles an hour to that. And that's what reality really is. So a fantasy camp turns into reality camp for a lot of these guys. Absolutely. Uh, for me, again, I think it's a wonderful thing. I think it can, it's a great training tool in the off season. But when it comes time to play the game, executing and, and taking advantage of your ability to maybe just get in their head because they realize what you're capable of doing. And the scouting reports are now so good they know what you're going to do before you're even going to do it. So it's still about executing pitches. It's amazing you said that because it's yeah. true. Like, you know, fans sit there and will say something about, oh, that pitcher sucks. You know, but no. The, well, anyone it, it, that makes so, it to the major right. leagues is the best in the world. And not only that, like, well, every, everything is done on a relative scale. Right. That, that's unfortunate. Unfortunate. That but people, you expect a certain standard and you're judging a relative standard, not the absolute standard, say these are, you know, 700 people who are, you know, better than... Elite talent, yeah. Right. No, no, a even, million people, no, no, even that, million I mean, people but in the world. Like, even Carlos Beltran, the poor guy, I mean, that was yeah, a hellacious right. curve, but, but right. that's what most Met fans remember the guy for. And, right. and listen, I, I'm far from a world-class athlete, but, you know, Nelson, after I fouled off the curve, you know, painted two balls right on the black, and the second one, I, I, like, by the time that, I because, thought about it... it didn't it want you to get a hit off of him. No, but, it's time to get serious. But this thing was, by the time I even thought about swinging, it was in the catcher's glove, and it, it just freezes you. And, and yeah. it shows you, I mean, these guys have to make split-second so, decisions. So let's, 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 let's move beyond on. you and yes. let's talk about let's, exactly. coming baseball let's, let's, season. Let's jump around the league a little bit before talk we about. talk about the Mets. So obviously yeah. this offseason was dominated with the talk of Harper, Machado, and now that the dust has settled with the Phillies, after adding McCutcheon, David Robinson, J.T. Realmuto, Segura, they signed Harper to the mega deal. Then you got the Padres, who lost 96 games last season, haven't appeared in the playoffs since 2006. Philly boasted about spending stupid money, but the Padres in the last three years have gone all in. 2007, Will Myers, followed last year by Eric Hosmer, now Manny Machado, this offseason for $300 million. Those, those three will be on a team that should also feature five of the top 100 prospects in baseball. Which of those two teams, the Phillies or the Padres, will be a more compelling watch this year? You know, I think the Phillies will be. I think, for me, the Padres... See, the way they did it was interesting because they went with this all-in philosophy the first time by going and acquiring a multitude of different all-stars. And they put them all together and they mashed them all together. And it was like you know, being able to see puzzle pieces, but they didn't exactly fit. But we'll just smash on top of them and it'll look like a different kind of picture. It'll work. And it didn't work. It didn't work. They had all these all-stars. And what they do by June, we've got to blow this thing up. The way that they blew it up and all the talent that they acquired, and that was, what, three, four years ago? 
all that talent is finally coming to fruition, and they're finally coming to the big leagues, and they are now piecing together the veterans that you want to have. Uh, I mean, spending, spending a lot of money. So you have you know, a superstar Machado. You have uh, Eric Hosmer, who maybe they overpaid for him. But, uh, again, you need a, a leader. You need a guy who kind of can help with the transition from those those guys going from you know prospects to actual everyday major league players, and I think they can put it together in a way, but they're still going to need pitching. Pitching dominates baseball, and I if you can name the five starters for the San Diego Padres, I'll give you a prize. <laughs> um, and so for me, the Phillies, it reminds me a lot of let's say the Arizona Diamondbacks, where you piece together some veteran players who are at the right place in their careers. I think they overpaid for McCutcheon, but I do think McCutcheon's value comes in a way that he is kind of that calming force on that team. He's not a hype man. He's not a guy that, you know, is, he's an exciting player when he's playing right, and we've seen him in his prime. Every, all the metrics are down on him. Three years, $50 million is too much, I think, but I know what the idea was. You're getting somebody who isn't flashy, isn't going to do things off the field that you need to worry about, and be able to be that on-base guy that can get on. And in a way, they saved a little bit because they did the same thing with Carlos Santana, three years, $60 million. They went three years, 50 for McCutcheon, and he's more of an athlete, can do a little bit more for them. Now you go, of course, Bryce Harper's the big splash, and you know they're, they're putting all their eggs in that basket. Getting Segura to get a little bit more athletic and a steady presence at shortstop. Kingery just signed before he even games of the big leagues a six-year deal. So that kind of makes Kingery now a not expensive as of yet, but now he's a backup player and he's very young and going to have to be in a rotation, which they used their players last year at least in a very weird way where they were batting. You know, Kingery wouldn't get at bats even. You know, or he would come into the game after a, uh, a hitter got his first at bat in a big situation. Dave Kaplan's Kingery would come into a game, and yeah. it was like literally, it was almost like literally, everybody has to play. When are we going to get Scott in there? <laughs> and I'd never seen anything like that at the major league level. Um, having said that, they went out and got Real Muto, which I have no idea how they pulled off that trade. <laughs> that, pra- that trade makes zero sense to me when the first initial trade offer was the Cindergard to the Bronx and they wanted to get Andujar and Sanchez to the Marlins. And I am still trying to figure out how exactly that was going to work because compared to what they got, they got a, a pitching prospect who has an elbow issue who only pitched in eight games last year, as good as a pitching prospect is. And then they got a guy who was relegated to being a backup catcher, an Alfaro, who is no real muto, I don't understand how they got that deal done. Um, but they did. So now they have Real Muto there in the fold. Uh, Franco had a nice second half. Um, so they have a lot of pieces that are put together. But, again, it goes to pitching. Uh, I do think if they were to get Keiko, it changes everything. Um, and or Kimbrell, because you have a back end of the bullpen type guy, another closer. You can never have too many closers in the big leagues. They used to call him, you know, good uh, end of the game relievers. Now everybody is a former closer, and they all put them all together. Um, but I do think opener. the Phillies lineup is going to be incredible. Yes. I think, that without a doubt, it's 
world's better than it was last year, and they'll be tough to pitch to, especially in that little ballpark. But it's going to be an interesting summer uh, in Philadelphia. So we have 10 minutes before we have to go to break. So let's talk a little bit about the Mets. And for me, so far, I've loved every single thing that Brody Van Wagenen has done. But I do have one major criticism. He brought in so many minor league guys, you know, guys on minor league tryout contracts for the outfield, for utility infield. The one area where he didn't bring guys in in the same way would be pitching. And the one guy that I was screaming about and screaming about on this show for week after week after week, which the guy I thought they needed to bring in, ended up going to the Yankees, and that's Gio Gonzalez. Do you think you know, that it, it's putting too much stock in uh, a, a staff that... Well, too much stock in Jason Vargas, particularly. Not only that, that's but, the spot but, you're really well, talking also, about. Well, no, you're also talking Wheeler and Matt's guys have yeah. had injury you yeah. know, issues in the past, and, and mm-hmm. Syndergaard as well, not shoring up that you know, area insurance-wise in case one of these guys went down. Well, it'd be great if you could have told me that Gio would have taken a minor league offer back then for $3 million. The same thing they gave Echeverria, but Gio wasn't taking that offer back then. Um, Gio, uh, we've seen the Yankees be able to pull off these very low deals. Uh, Chris Carter comes to mind. You lead the American League in home runs, and then the next year you have to accept a deal, and a whopping $3.5 million gets it done and then it was gone. But for the Yankees, it, which it didn't pan out, but still, it's mind-boggling where 10 years ago a guy leads the league in home runs, and they would have paid him a four years, $40 million kind of deal, $10 million a year easily. That's not happening anymore. They're putting value in different numbers, and there's pluses and minuses to everyone's numbers, and there is not one player that's going to be able to stay the same for a 10-year career. So now they're figuring that Gio is on the downside of that. Um, the swing and miss stuff wasn't there last year. Um, Gio has now added a cutter. And he's rusty. We saw him out in his first outing not too long ago. But if you add another guy like Gio to the mix, where are you going to use him until that emergency happens? You're not going to go with a six-man rotation. Um, Vargas pitched well enough and is on an $8 million deal. Um, Steven Matz is aggravatingly inconsistent, but is still the guy that I think has – the X factor for this team because I believe in the top three. I think the top three wholeheartedly will be possibly the most dominant top three in baseball, if healthy. Of course, that goes with everyone. Um, but then I think Stephen Matz, if he can figure it out and be the Stephen Matz that goes seven and one in eight games and not one in seven, <laughs> they have a very good chance to be there at the very end and competing. This National League East is going to be incredible. I think they're going to beat up on each other all year long. I think it's what you do outside the division mostly because in 19 games there's going to be a lot of, uh, of, of these against these other teams. You're going to be 10 and 9, 9 and 10. Um, so to me, that's where you can't just have seven, eight starters and people aren't going to sign. They don't want to sign to do that. A guy like Gio has you know, he sees an opportunity because there's two guys hurt um, between Sabathia has a suspension coming back slowly from you know, the, the heart procedure, and then you have Severino going down. It's a better fit for him in the Yankee uniform right now. And, you know, they sold him on, chance to make another up to $12 million with 
300000 in uh, each start that he makes, which I said curiously, if there's an opener while he pitches, yeah. does he get paid for a start? So to me, one of the interesting things that Brody did was realize that on a team built on pitching, you have to be strong up the middle defensively. Mm-hmm. With Cano and with Broxton spelling Ligaris in center field, uh, with Rosario at short. The concern I have, let's take a look over at first base. Mm-hmm. So first of all, one big question is, is Pete Alonso a major league hitter? Can he do it in the majors like he did in the minors? But then the other question is, can he field well enough to help support the pitching staff? And that leads to the question, is Dominic Smith there to be a late-inning defensive replacement? How do you see the two platooning and being used over the season? Yeah, that's a very good one. Um, Again, we touched on this kind of idea early on. All the reports of Pete Alonso being as if, you know, he did not have arms long enough to reach the ground or something, he's fielded his whole career. He has a fielding percentage. He's knocked down or fielded most of the balls. There's a speed element to the game. There's a comfort level as you get to every level. The ball gets hit harder. The fields are maintained differently. The ball gets on you a little bit quicker. That comes with experience. Um, I think of him, and I think of a guy named Paul Konerko. Paul Konerko, when he moved to first base, wasn't exactly sending out, you know, cards to his friends that I'm going to be getting my gold glove next year. (laughs) But his bat spoke volumes. Pete Alonso has a ability to hit the ball and hit the ball the other way and have not just competitive at-bats, but dangerous at-bats. You're a hanging slider away from the score changing every time this guy comes up. And it's exactly what they need in that lineup when you're missing a big bat like Cespedes a big swing and, you know, an all-or-nothing all approach like uh, Frazier, who can hit you 25 to 30. They needed that right-handed bat. So, to me, Pete Alonso has to make the team. He's earned it. He's done everything they asked of him and continues to get better. I spoke with Cano down in spring training, and he said it's a shame that people talk about him that way because they don't see how hard the kid works every day. They see him in the batter's box. They see the one ball that gets hit to him that he doesn't field cleanly but they don't know how much work he puts in to get better at this. And Cano has actually helped him. He has this little, like, paddle, the small little paddle thing that you use to kind of soften up your hands and allow your hands to, to kind of stay a little bit limper at the bottom of it. You're not jabbing at the ball so much. And if anybody can do that, we've seen Cano do that in his sleep. So he's worked with him with that, and he, think, he just said, he looks at me and he goes, you see that kid over there? And I said, yeah. He goes, wow. <laughs> So he's seen some of the greats in the game, and he said, wow, about Pete Alonso. So if anybody can give a stamp of that magnitude, I trust Cano and what he sees on the field, off the field, and in the clubhouse. So that to me means that Pete Alonso is good. Dominic Smith has now, again, he's been hitting uh, spring training pitching again. He should have gotten more of an opportunity last year, but they didn't know what they were going to do with Jay Bruce. If Brody could have told him earlier, that they were going to trade him, then Dominic Smith could have played, you know, the last month and a half of the season and gotten a real shot to prove that he could be an everyday first baseman. So, yes, he may be a defensive replacement. He may not get a routine or they go with the hot hand, but I do think when you have two guys who right now need to be on this team with the lack of Lowry and, and Frazier, there will be a way to make it all work out. There's matchups, there's lefties, there's righties, there's, you know, the, the, you got the double switch where you can bring in Dominic Smith to use his glove later on. Because Dominic Smith hasn't really wowed me with his glove. 
I heard he was gold glove caliber. I, I, I think gold glove is a high standard. <laughs> and in the first couple of years, I didn't see anything that I said wow about. But at the same time, for him as well, the game has started to slow down. He's looked a lot better than in years past. And uh, I do believe that they can work it out. And it's not going to be nearly as bad news bears over there as everybody thinks. I'm really looking forward to Pete Alonso's season. It's funny because when I came back from spring training last year, I told AJ that I was at a different field. I was at the, the, where the regulars were, and I heard right. this sound, and, and I just went to follow that sound. You could hear <laughs> he hits the ball differently. And you know, for anyone that you know, wants to know about his work ethic and how much of a gamer he was, there was a tremendous article this week by Kevin Kern in, in the Post about his college days and, and how much of a gamer this kid is. So I'm, I'm looking forward to him. we got like a, a minute before we go to break, Nelson. So... One thing that you're the most excited to see happen, and the, the thing you're going to be watching most for, for the Mets season this year, whether it be a player or something. Uh, well, winning more games would be great. <laughs> uh, but the thing I'm most excited for is uh, no longer talking about the five aces and really seeing this rotation uh, come to fruition and, and be able to push each other and and. and do special things because I think the back end of the bullpen will shore it up and the bullpen has gotten better and there'll be more games that aren't blown and we'll see a lot more wins for these starters who definitely had a chance to earn, should have had a better chance to earn them last year like Jacob DeGrom and his uh, uh, massive 10 win side young season. <laughs> Unbelievable. Nelson, it's always great talking baseball. I look forward to seeing you at it at the stadium. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. Nelson Figueroa from SNY.